Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Hey, that's your cue to be quiet. Come on. <laughs> Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Hey, really quick, all the fathers in the house, do me a favor, stand up. All the fathers in the house, stand up. Yes. That's right. Thank y'all for doing what you do. You set an amazing example today by being here instead of at home grilling some meat on the grill. That, there's time for that later. Thank you for setting the bar for your family, leading them and being here today. We honor you today. Thank you for what you do. I will tell you, godly men are a dying breed. But you're reversing that, and I thank you for it. We are grateful for you. We are grateful for you. I am not our senior pastor. Our senior pastor is Pastor Don. He went on the mission trip, and then he's taking just a little bit of downtime on the backside of it to recharge his batteries. We're grateful for him. If this is your first time, come back. Uh, you're going to have to come back two Sundays in a row because he's not going to be in the pulpit next Sunday either. But come back. You're going to want to hear from him. You need to hear the heart of the senior pastor of this house because he truly has a father's heart for everybody that calls this place home. And there's an amazing anointing and gift that he has to deliver the word of God to his people, if you will. And so, yeah, we want to honor Pastor Don. And then I'm just going to, Pastor Don, I know you're watching. Thank you for the opportunity to stand in your pulpit. I do not take it lightly. Thank you, sir. <laughs> For all the dads, we want to we love on you a little bit today. And out in the, in the lobby, after second service, there's a table on the left. Uh, you'll see Mike Mundell over there. If Mike, if you're in here, could you raise your hand? He's probably in here somewhere. He's back there in the back. Woohoo, big Mike. He's going to be handing these flash drives out. It's not the flash drive that's valuable. It's what's on it. We've put something on it for you. Uh, there's a message on here done by one of my mentors. It's a three-part message, and it's about how to get spiritually fit, how to put some disciplines and practices in place in your life so that you can be all that God has called you to be as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather. And we want to get those to you, and they're free. They're available for you. By the way, this will work in your car. I found out that it will not work in the cassette player of a 1997 F-150. It will not. I tried. It's not a compatible interface. I, I don't know what's up with that. Is there anybody that would like this one that I have in my hand? Oh, man, I can make that happen. Front row. Come on, somebody. But make sure you go get one of those. Make sure you go get one of those afterwards. Um, you know, Pastor Dave last week kept talking about how fit pastor this, fit pastor that. Hashtag fit pastor. Well, look, let me, just, let me just straighten that out. It's very clear. Hashtag handsome pastor. Come on, somebody. Right. 
He's actually my identical twin brother. I know that all of y'all knew that, right? I mean, you saw the resemblance. We, we are brothers. <laughs> Before I start our journey today, and we're going to go on one if you'll, if you'll go with me, I got to connect you. You got to see that I'm a lot like you. And since we're talking about fathers and kids, I want to show you my family. I just want to be a proud papa for a minute. That was uh, about two months ago. What? Man, y'all calling me out already? Uh, no, okay, that was actually about 28 years ago. Uh, that is my baby girl. And man, baby, you didn't have a chance. <laughs> I weighed 162 pounds soaking wet right there, and 20 pounds of it was that mullet. <laughs> I'm just going to be real honest. <laughs> now I just look like the guy that ate that guy. Uh, Go ahead and hit me with the next picture. There we go. There's my, there's my two baby boys. Uh, that's my oldest on the floor. He's a lot bigger than that now, and if I tried to do that, the roles would be reversed um, because that was not a month ago. <laughs> he is learning right there the valuable lesson that there is always somebody bigger and better than you, and I'm teaching my youngest son over there another valuable lesson. It's the fine art of the sneak attack. He looks like he's about to kick a field goal, doesn't he? He was winding up, baby. And look at them underoos. That's what I'm talking about. Scooby-dooby-doo. Oh. <laughs> they are a lot older than that now. Go ahead and hit me with another picture. That's my baby girl now. That's her holding my grandson. My wife and I are positive that she had that baby for us. She's not here, so I can say that. Uh, by the way, thank you for loaning me Jessa this morning so I could get some baby love. My grandson's not here today. Um, go ahead, next one. That's that little one I was holding down on the floor. Like I said, he's a lot bigger now. Uh, he's holding his nephew there. He, uh, he and his wife uh, live in Louisiana, and he serves in, in one branch of the United States military. Yes. And then my last, the next picture, the last picture of my kiddos, that's my youngest baby boy right there. I still call him baby boy. They're all my babies. And there he is sitting with his nephew, my grandson, again, um, at a restaurant after dinner. You will notice that uh, we have pictures of our grandbaby with us everywhere we go now. <laughs> and I am so proud of all of my babies. Uh, one of them's in here. One of them's probably watching online and the other one's traveling right now. And I just want you to know that it is such a privilege and an honor to be your dad. I love you. And then my last picture. Yeah. Ow! I agree. That is the woman that God gave me. And you got to know that there's something special in her because she put up with all that mullet. I'm just saying. <laughs> that is my queen. That is my bride, Sherry. Uh, without her, I wouldn't have those amazing babies that I have. And I will tell you, I may be a mild-mannered pastor up here. You want to see me get redheaded, look cross-eyed at my wife. I am real secure that Jesus forgives me if you mess with my wife. I'm just saying. I don't mind prison ministry from the inside out. I said it. I'm just saying. No wonder I only get to preach once a year. It's my fault. I just saw it. Man. 
Hey, before we jump into our text today, I've got to set some ground rules so that you can understand the message. And to do that, I want to start off in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. And first and foremost on this Father's Day, we worship you, the perfect Father. And Daddy, we give you all the glory, all the honor, and the praise that is due your great name. Thank you that you made a way for us to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. Not a single one of us deserved it. Not a single one of us earned it. But yet you made a way. May everything that we do and say today bring you glory and honor. And Daddy, I pray for prepared hearts to receive the word you've laid on my heart. And I pray for your anointing to deliver it the way you intended. And I ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, buckle up. That clock says 24 minutes. <laughs> um, first thing you have to understand about today's message, this is, uh, some of this isn't going to be in your notes, uh, is that there is an attack on the father-child relationship. There is an attack on the father-child relationship. You got to keep that in the, in the back of your mind as we talk today. Um, and if there's an attack, it means there is an attacker. There is an enemy. And, and we're in church, so let's just, let's just say who it is. It's the devil. It's Satan. Most of us would stand up and say there's a real heaven and there's a real God. But for some reason, when we start thinking about the devil and hell, we tend to kind of put that over here and uh, maybe it's not real. And I will tell you, uh, I believe it was C.S. Lewis that said, uh, the devil's biggest ploy, his biggest lie, his biggest deception that he tries to sell isn't to try to get you to believe that there isn't a God, but rather to get you to believe that he isn't real. Because if he isn't real, then you have no enemy. And if you have no enemy, then you'll fight the wrong fight. Because we are all wired for a fight. God put inside of all of us this, this DNA of a fight, if you will. I mean, you see men climbing out onto a football field, jumping into a ring. You see it. It's, it's in us. There's a gladiator inside all of us. that You want to see it in the ladies. Just go to the mall on Black Friday. I'm just saying... <laughs> Uh, I am not man enough or gladiator enough for that. Um, how about you mess with her babies? Boy, she will make a grizzly bear look like a poodle if you mess with a mama's babies because there's a fight inside of all of us. And so really the enemy tries to take that and manipulate that and influence that so that we fight the wrong fight. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 uh, says that we fight not against flesh and blood but against principalities and spiritual powers in high places. And since we're wired for a fight, then he just tries to influence and manipulate so that we fight the wrong fight, so that I fight with my wife instead of for my wife. That I fight with my kids instead of for my kids. And that's the direction that the enemy tries to keep us going um, because, again, our heart is looking for a fight. We just saw that. And then he's just simply trying to get us to fight the wrong one. And then in and through that fight, he's trying to pervert the view of father. If you want to see if that's true or not, uh, why don't you go back and watch a TV show from like 1960. Dad was honored. Dad went to work. He came home. He fixed the car. He loved on his kids. He helped them with their homework. He did all these amazing things. He was the superhero of the home. And now you watch TV and dad has been relegated to the butt of all the jokes a, a clueless guy that has no idea what he's doing. Where, where, well, the family just has to tolerate him. He's Homer Simpson. And the enemy's done that. 
That's not a coincidence. There's been a shift because he's trying to pervert the view of fathers. And let me tell you why. He's trying to pervert the view of fathers because fathers lead. Fathers lead. It's what they do. Uh, there's some crazy statistics to prove that. If, if little Johnny or little Susie goes off to vacation, we have little Johnny and little Susie, um, goes off to vacation Bible school with her neighbor and gets saved. And then they bring Jesus back into their home. There's a three and a half percent chance that the rest of the family will get saved. There's probably some three and a half percenters in here. Praise God for three and a half percent. If the mom is the first person to get saved, then there's a 17% chance that the rest of the family will follow suit. And there are definitely some 17 percenters in here. Praise God for those moms. Now check this out. If a dad is the first person to get saved and begins to follow the Lord, there's a 93% chance that the rest of the family will follow suit because God created fathers to lead. No bones about it. If you're a father, you're leading one direction or another. You're leading and your family is watching and following. And then next, fathers instill identity. It's what fathers do. Fathers instill identity. Uh, Matthew 3:17 and 17:5. These aren't on the screen. Uh, you can go home and look them up. They're also in our live notes on our app. Uh, it's two accounts in Jesus's life. Both of them are big accounts. One of them, he's getting ready to step into his public ministry. The other one, he's getting ready to seal the deal on his public ministry. Um, he steps down into the waters of baptism. And as he comes up out of the water, there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It was identity. God said, that's my boy. I love him. I'm proud of him. And then the next account is on the Mount of Transfiguration, which is where Jesus is up on the mountain. He takes three of his disciples with him. Some crazy stuff happens, and they get to hear the voice of the Father again say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Again, that's my boy. Proud of him. In the first account, he would then step out into the wilderness for 40 days and on the other side and resist temptation. And then on the other side of that wilderness, he then stepped into his public ministry and he needed that strength. He needed that reassurance from the father because he knew God knew that his baby boy was going to be out in the wilderness and the enemy was going to be hitting him with all sorts of stuff. And he knew that he needed him to be hearing inside of his soul. I'm God's son. He's got me. I know who I am. And then on the next one, he was actually getting ready to, to quote unquote, start his journey towards the cross, if you will. And he needed to have that identity secure again because the cross was not fun for Jesus. He knew what was fixing to go on and he needed to be solid and secure in who he was. So fathers instill identity. Um, I'll give you one out of my own life. Uh, when I was a little boy, seven, eight years old, uh, which was like, you know, only 12 years ago. Um, my dad would come in at like midnight, one in the morning, and I would fake like I was asleep. And he would lay his hand on me and he would pray probably once, twice a month. Daddy, I thank you that this one's different than me. Lord, I thank you that there is an anointing on him, that you have called him. That he's going to be a minister to your people because he's anointed and he's called by you. I'm standing on a stage today ministering the gospel. 
my father helped instill identity into me. And then fathers are meant to be a tangible reflection of God. That's a lot of words. I should have made that shorter. <laughs> Hindsight. Uh, fathers are meant to be a tangible reflection of God. What does that mean? Tangible just means touchable. Uh, God the Father is spirit. Okay? We are meant as fathers. God's original intention was for us to look like him to our babies. It was his intention that when they had a boo-boo, they'd come climb up on our lap and we'd love them through it. It was his intention that they would feel safe, guarded, protected underneath our care and in our homes. We're supposed to look like him to them. We're supposed to be God with skin on, if you will. Now, I know that, that first of all, nobody could nail that perfectly because we are in a fallen, broken world. This thing called sin happened, and so nobody's perfect. Um, but I also know that there are some that, that when we say father, there's an interesting thing that happens in here. And I will tell you that first and foremost, I don't want to minimize or marginalize what you may have experienced. I do not want to allow the enemy to make you think that I am trying to marginalize that today. I am not. I am sorry for what happened. And I appreciate that you may be in a season of life now where because of somebody else's failings, you now have to have boundaries kept in place. Boundaries are not bad. It's okay. Those are good. But today I'd like to give you a prescription, if you will, to help remove that pain and help clear up this image of father son because God wants to heal people in this room. And that's why we're going on this journey today. So our key text is Malachi 4, 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Uh, the prophet Elijah had already been dead for about 400 years, or gone, I shouldn't say dead. God took him from the earth. He did not die, excuse me. He'd already been gone for about 400 years. Uh, if you read in Matthew and then again in Luke, you'll find out that he's talking about John the Baptist. He said that he was basically marked with the, the spirit, the gift set, the mantle, if you will, of Elijah. That was John the Baptist's job. That was his role. Um, then it says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Hang on to that. I want you guys to hold on to something. It says, the hearts of the fathers to the children. You see, there's no personal pronoun there. The fathers, the children. Hold on to that. We're going to talk about that at the end. And hearts of the children to their fathers. All of a sudden, there's a personal pronoun right there on that one. Remember that nothing in scripture is, is unintentional. We're going to discuss that at the end. Let me give you a little bit of context. So this is the, the prophet Malachi. Uh, Israel had been in, or the Jews, God's people, had been in what was known as the Babylonian captivity. This is all stuff you can go research in history books, not just your Bible. Um, history actually proves the Bible's real. Uh, there was this thing called the Babylonian captivity. The Jews were taken off. Um, and out of Jerusalem. They were not allowed to be there anymore. Uh, then the Persians came in after a, a long period of time. The Persians came in and they kicked the Babylonians right in the teeth, man. And so they took over. And so now it became a Persian rule, if you will. And when that happened, uh, we had some favor with them. God moved on their hearts and they said, hey man, go on home. Uh, you can read about that in the book of Nehemiah. He went and rebuilt the walls. That's all part of this whole Persian thing, by the way. Um, and for about the first 50, 60 years, they did pretty good. They, man, they were so grateful to be out from captivity and, un, and unenslaved. They're living in this Persian province and, the, and worship for the Lord was restored and God's people began to look like God's people again, not like the slaves they'd become. 
But then something goofy happened. They began to get a little apathetic in their, in their relationship with God. They began to intermarry with the people around them that didn't think like them. Those people had idols that they worshiped. So now worship of God began to get modeled again. It began to get impure. People began to bring in these sacrifices that were subpar. They're bringing in lame animals and all this stuff. They're not bringing in everything they were supposed to bring in. And so the nation was a mess. And if you follow it out, really for about the next 400 years, the voice of heaven grew silent until John the Baptist came on the scene. Um, But in all of that, God said, what's the solution? Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. It wasn't a global summit on peace, something that we might do. It was, man, I just got to get fathers and kids' hearts turned the right way. And appreciate that today uh, you may be a father, you may not, but you are also a kid. I'm standing up here as a 48-year-old man that, and I'm a father, but I'm also a kid. I have a dad. So today, as we're, as we're going through this, I want you to see yourself in those two lenses, both identities. If you are a dad, you have kids, praise God, but also see yourself as somebody else's kid. Now we're going to jump in to this first part, and I want to focus on dads for just a minute because that's where it starts. It, it, truthfully, it starts with us. We just determined that fathers lead, so it has to start with us, that, that the heart of the father needs to be turned to the kiddos. And so I would simply pose a question to you this morning. What position is your heart in? How is your heart? Is your heart turned towards your kids? Or maybe has some things happened and and, and you've allowed the enemy to create some influence and now your heart is turned against your kids and maybe you didn't even realize it until just now. I'm not talking about discipline. Stuff like that has to happen, okay? I'm talking about an inward turning of this thing. I, I can stand up here and tell you that I own the t-shirt that a while back when my oldest boy was in his teen years for about two years, uh, my heart was really not turned towards him. I thought that I was fighting for him only to have God open my eyes and show me that I was fighting with him. And the Holy Spirit said, you got to fix that. You got to turn your heart to him. To which I said, thank you for showing me that. And now my son and I have an amazing relationship. What position is your heart in? Is it turned towards or is it turned against? Maybe it's turned towards, but you don't know how to show it. You had a very broken model. And so you're not even certain how to show that. I want to give you some steps, some alignment actions, if you will, to turn your heart towards your kids. And more than that, for them to finally be able to see that your heart is truly for them. Um, here's some alignment actions. The first one would be, be a godly example. This sounds so, so simple, so trivial. First Corinthians 11 once says, follow me as I follow Christ. We got to set the bar in our own life. Can I tell you this so many times? And like I said, man, I got some t-shirts in my closet. Uh, we'll set the bar here for our kid's life, but then we hold the bar here for our life. And do as I say, not as I do, is just a terrible, terrible leadership model. It just doesn't work. They're only going to follow where you go. And it's already hard enough. They're probably still going to make some decisions you don't agree with. But you got to start by setting the bar high in your life. You got to be that godly example for them to follow because they will follow where you lead. 
Leading means that you've gone somewhere they haven't so you can show them the way. It's got to start there. Man, don't look at me like that. Be a good listener. Be a listener would be our next one. James 1.19 says that we need to be quick to listen. That's hard for us as men. That's hard. We want to fix everything. I gave the example first service. My wife, she's been working on some stuff for, for the uh, uh, guest experience around here. And it's this text thing. And she's been really putting a lot of calories into it. And she, I sat down on the couch the other day. She goes, here, do this. And so I did it on my phone. And then I went, oh, baby, you need to, this needs to be. And she was like, dude, I didn't want you to fix nothing. I just wanted you to go, yeah. Uh, I blew it. I was trying to fix it. Sometimes we just need to listen to our kiddos. And can I tell you, if we will, then we'll hear the things that we need to take into our time with the Lord to fight for them on their behalf. But if we're not listening or they can't come and talk to us, then we're just shooting shotgun blast prayers. We got to be listening to them. Then be an encourager. Ephesians 4.29 says that we need to watch the words of our mouth and that the words that come out of it only need to build up and encourage they never need to tear down. We always need to be encouraging them and building them up. It's very wrong to tear a kiddo down and say, so you're just a liar. No, no, maybe they didn't tell the truth, but let's build them up. You may have told a lie, but you're not a liar. I love you. I'm proud of you. Here's why you don't want to lie. You can build up when we do those things. And then be quick to forgive and quicker to apologize. Be quick to forgive and quicker to apologize. Um, Colossians 3.13 says that we, need to be, that we need to be quick to forgive, even as Christ forgave us. And can I tell you that forgiveness has nothing to do with whether or not somebody comes and says, I'm sorry. Forgiveness is an action that you can take no matter what. As a matter of fact, every single person in this room was forgiven by God before we ever asked him to forgive us. Before we ever even realized that we had blown it and we needed forgiveness, he had already forgiven before we ever said, I'm sorry. And then be quick to apologize. That's that whole setting the stage thing. Man, if you fumble it and you're gonna, hi, I fumble the ball often, <laughs> go to him and just apologize. Man, I'm so sorry. I really blew that one. And don't wait three days, three weeks, three years. Do it quick. Do it quick. Don't let the enemy have time to get in there and mess with their thought on that. Go and fix it. Go and apologize. Some of y'all right now are sending texts. I see you. It's good. Apologize. I'm great with it. And then last, teach, don't taunt. Teach, don't taunt. What do I mean by that? Ephesians 6, 4 in the Amplified says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not, I got an amen from a little one. Come on, somebody. Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment. Listen to that. Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them, but bring them up tenderly with loving kindness in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's the best way that I can rob a phrase that. Don't push their buttons, man. We know what their buttons are. Don't manipulate them. We want to handle them tenderly and teach them, disciple them, train them up. We, we want to treat them like we want to be handled. All right, now I'm going to shift gears and I'm going to ask you again, 
Instead of, instead of viewing your own kids, I want you to view your own heart as a kid. And like I said before, I know that's going to be bumpy for some of us in this room. I know that. I know that. But hang in there. God wants to do something in your heart. It says that the hearts of the children need to be turned to their fathers. So I would ask you the same question. I would ask us the same question. Man, how's your heart? Is your heart turned towards dad? The father, I didn't ask if it's hard to turn your heart. I asked if your heart was turned that way. We're going to see why that's important and valuable in just a minute. Some of us need to make a U-turn, and I want to show you how to make that U-turn if, if you have a hard time turning your heart towards father. And it's a little different for us as kids. Honor is the answer for us. I gave you some things that you can do as a parent one way, but as kiddos, honor is the answer. I'm going to give you a couple scriptures. Exodus 20, 12. This is uh, where the Ten Commandments are recorded. Honor your father and mother so that you may get, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You're like, man, whew, that's Old Testament. I don't have to do it, which I would disagree with anyway, by the way. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. There it is in the New Testament. I'll tell you something really cool about that passage of Scripture. So if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are about our relationship with God. Don't have any gods besides him. Don't make any gods. Don't take his name in vain, which means don't use it lackadaisically or in disrespect. And then remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's the first four. The next six are about our relationship with man. And the very first one is honor your father and mother. And it's got a promise attached to it so that you can live long in the land. It's before thou shalt not commit murder. The very first thing God told his people to do was to keep this place of honor. Honor is about attitude, not action. Honor is about attitude, not action. Honor is a heart condition. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, a while back, my wife and I, last Tuesday, no. Um, a while back, my wife and I got into an argument, a moment of intense Christian fellowship. <laughs> and we went to leave and go somewhere and I opened her car door for her because I don't ever want her to have to open her car door. And I shut the door, and when I got in the car, uh, she said something along the lines of, don't do that. I was like, well, you're welcome, because I'm stupid. Um, and I said, whatever, I do that because I honor you. And she called me out on it. She said, that was not honor you had in your heart. And she was right. I was angry in my heart. I didn't have her being held in honor, truth be told. I was really trying to put a little salt in the wound. That's really what was going on. It wasn't honor. Honor is about what's going on in here. And if this is right and we have an attitude of honor, then our actions will follow. But it doesn't work the other way around. And I'll say this. You can always honor the position if you can't honor the person. 
Somebody can tweet or insta-twit that or whatever you do with it. I don't know. Hashtag something. You can always honor the position if you can't honor the person. Okay? So, real quickly, here's some things that you can do to help turn your heart. Be grateful for the good. Philippians 4.8 tells us to, that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So many times we focus on the bad. Let me just tell you, you fall and pray to the enemy. If the thought of your mind is always on a negative thing that happened, I agree that it may have been a horrible, horrible thing. But if we will try, we can always find something that we can honor and be grateful for. Maybe it's the simple fact that because of the lessons you learned then, you learned how you would parent differently. That's valuable. It's valuable. If nothing else, if you're like, yeah, well, I I can't even say that. If nothing else, can I tell you that I'm grateful that you're here today? And without that man, you wouldn't be here today. If nothing else, you can be glad and you can honor the fact that because of him, you're here today. You can always honor the position, if not the person. Because honor assigns value to someone regardless of who they are or what they've done. We've all been made in the image of the Most High God. That's what it says in Genesis. Then sin entered in. We fumbled the ball. Some of us have been real turkeys as dads. Some of us have had real turkeys as dads. But we can always honor that image, that original intent that God had. Forgive the fouls. We need to forgive the fouls. Man, there are things, some of you have dads that stepped in, that that they're not with you anymore. Hopefully they stepped into heaven. Um, You can forgive the fouls. Let that go. You don't need them to say, I'm sorry. Just forgive it. We talked about it. Just forgive it. We're trying to unclog a filter that's in our brain. And we're going to see why in just a second. And then if you're still having trouble with that, you can always, this is our next one, you can always pray for and not about. You know, we, we pray for them, not about them. Lord, hit them with a bus. Don't pray that. You're laughing because you did it one time. I know what's up. You can pray for them. Can I tell you that if you will spend earnest time in prayer for someone, then God will begin to tenderize your heart towards them and forgiveness will begin to take place in here when you don't even realize it. Maybe then the Holy Spirit will be able to show you, man, maybe they acted that way because of how they were treated when they were little. Hurting people hurt people. It's just a thought. And so in prayer, you can be going, man, Father, remove their pain. Lord, help them to see you more clearly. Daddy, interrupt their life. Help them come face to face with the God of the universe. Save them. I ask you to bless them. I pray that everything in their path goes right so that they have to say there's a God. You can always pray for, not about, and your heart will be tenderized. Now, why is this important? Because it keeps our image of God the Father clear. This is really about the enemy trying to influence and manipulate our view of Father, okay? And if the the name, the word, the title Father or Dad makes you twinge a little, then the enemy has actually been able to make it difficult for you when you hear God the Father 
to have the response that you should have. In my own life, in my own life, three years into my journey, uh, my dad and I had a very broken relationship. Um, and I was in praise and worship and I'd been praying. I felt like there was this wall in my life that I couldn't get past. It's like I'd be worshiping God and I'd read my Bible and I'd spend time with him. But it's like I could feel that there was more, that he wanted to take me deeper, but I was hitting this wall. And I couldn't figure it out. And I did, I was smart enough to know, three years old in the Lord, that God is perfect. So if I'm encountering an obstacle, then it's got to be me. It can't be him because Jesus paid too dear of a price to remove every obstacle for me to not be able to get to God the Father. Does that make sense? So I had to look at myself. And in a moment of prayer and a praise and worship service, God said, Son, you're right, there's more. But you've allowed your view of Father to taint how you see me. And you don't have a right relationship with your Father. You haven't taken Him the honor that's due Him. You haven't forgiven things that you need to forgive and let go of. And so you can't see me right. And so I want you to deal with that because I do have more for you. And then by the grace of God, I was able to enter into a, a, a process of restoration with my dad. I love my dad. I love my dad. When my phone rings and it says dad, I don't have his name on my phone, it says dad. <laughs> I'll stop whatever I'm doing so I can talk to my dad. God brought restoration. Now, I appreciate that. That may not happen for some. I appreciate that I have a very special thing. My dad and I have a very special thing that God did. And there may be some boundaries, like I said, I understand that need to be kept in place. But now I have a clearer view of him as father. And now all of my relationships this way are healthier because I see him better. Because number one, I began to have honor in my heart for my dad. I began to extend forgiveness, and then my dad extended forgiveness to me, and it was able to be fixed. We're talking about keeping this clear, because God's got more for you. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land on that thing I told you to pay attention to, uh, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Is there any... Come on. Y'all are amazing. Thank you. Notice the verbiage, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. No personal pronoun in the first one because God is so smart. Every single one of us has a man, has the ability, the God-given ability to be fathers to kids that we didn't biologically have. Every single one of us has the ability to be a dad to somebody. We would call it a mentor, a spiritual father. In this house, I'm in, in my journey as a Christian, I've been fortunate enough that I have several spiritual sons people in my life where God has allowed me to step in. So while he gave me all the bandwidth to be a dad to my own three kids, he gave me even more bandwidth so that I could be a dad to these others. And I will tell you that if you're willing and available, then God will do the same for you. There may be some men in here that are believing the lie of the enemy that you can never be a dad. This scripture says you can if you'll let him do it but you got to be willing and available. And then it said the hearts of the children to their fathers. All of a sudden it went personal. God showed me something really cool there. All we need is one. As kids, we need, we only need one father. Can we have more? Yes, but it only takes one. And I believe God may be calling some of you men to be that one for somebody but you've got to be willing and you've got to be available.
And now because that clock says I'm out of time, we're going to land the plane. And we want to land it on an interesting thing. I want to ask you a question and we're going to take just a minute to dwell here. What is God asking you to do with this? What is he asking you to do as a dad? What is he asking you to do as a kiddo? What is he asking you to do? Maybe he's asking you to do something hard. Maybe he's asking you to forgive. Maybe he's asking you to call your kiddo and take him out for coffee and just tell him you love him. I don't know. But I'm going to pray and we're going to take just a moment of silence. And I want you to be bold enough to write down what God lays on your heart to do. The book of James in chapter one says that, that there are these moments where we look into the truth of the word. And it's like looking into a mirror. We get to see the condition of our heart, the condition of our soul. And it says that there are some that will look in that mirror and go, man, I got broccoli in my teeth. And my hair's a mess. I got a big red spot on my face. Ain't nothing I can do about that. And then we'll do something with it. It's an action item. Some people would choose to turn and walk away from that, but the Bible records in James 1 that if we'll actually do it, that we'll be blessed. So, Father, I ask that you speak to your people, Holy Spirit, whatever it is, show We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.